Now continue the series we started in Genesis, come to Genesis 27, Genesis 27, we'll read verses 1 to 40. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like. Bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say, go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. 
May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you go restless, you will throw his yoke from off of your neck or off your neck. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the Old Testament, the patriarchal blessing, the blessing that the, the patriarch, the father gave to the next generation was more than just a sign of goodwill, but it was God himself speaking through his patriarch, his, this man, to indicate who would carry the church forward to the next generation when hopefully the Messiah would be born. In the time of Isaac, then the very character of the church would be determined by the son to whom this patriarchal place would be given. And Isaac, in our text, then he must serve as a father who is also a prophet who must point his covenant children to the Messiah. He is an instrument in the hands of our Heavenly Father who is building His church among those who hope and trust in Jesus Christ, but who also excludes those who run ahead and do not continue in the teaching of Christ. We saw that in the text that was displayed on the screen before the service as we were coming in, 2 John verse 9. Isaac understood the consequences of his words. He could be sure that God really would establish the son he would bless and would leave the son 
the other son in his rebellion. But Isaac was still just a human father. And the pain that accompanied his responsibility to exclude Esau was very, very great. The Holy Spirit repeats the words, my father and my son, many times throughout this chapter. You can see that as you're reading through it. And so he really highlights how a father's love can make it difficult for him to accept God's word and God's judgment against his godless children. Isaac is struggling, like many of us, who struggle with children who do not believe in Jesus Christ. He is struggling with the consequences of their decisions. He wants there to be a, a, a way for the godless to inherit eternal life. But there isn't. And as we imagine the broken heart of the patriarch Isaac, we are also reminded and warned that there is no blessing outside of Jesus Christ. God only blesses those who submit to his word, who believe in his son, like Jacob, who eagerly desired the inheritance and the promise of a Messiah. The difference between Esau and Jacob is not that Jacob was sinless and Esau was, was not but the difference is that Jacob looked to the promise. He put his hope and his trust in his God and Father in heaven. He looked to the Messiah for his salvation. And I preached you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. In Jacob's blessing, God reveals that only those who believe in him can be a part of Christ's church. Jacob's blessing is a blessing that is expected, it's exclusive, and it's extensive. We'll see those three points. Jacob's blessing is expected, and secondly, exclusive, and thirdly, extensive. First then, Jacob's blessing is expected. Rebecca and Jacob expected that Isaac would remember and respect God's prophecy about Jacob when he made arrangements for the continuation of the church in his family line. Isaac, who was at this time 137 years old, he had other plans. In God's providence, Rebekah overhears. Isaac explained to Esau, who was now 77 years old, that after Isaac's death, he wanted Esau to lead God's church and be the next patriarch. And as Rebekah then, you can see that in verse 7, as Rebekah is telling Jacob what she overheard Isaac say, she adds in that Isaac intended to give this blessing in the presence of the Lord. And she means in the face of, against God's prophecy that was made before the twins were born, that the older will serve the younger. Genesis 5, verse 23. Rebecca and Jacob, they knew the prophecy. They were expecting something very different. And their zeal for the church leads them to, to react in a drastic way. It's, it's such a memorable story that we'll never forget what, what happened, but it's a reaction to what, they were seeing Isaac do. 
and they highlight the seriousness of the situation and how completely Isaac's fatherly love for his firstborn son Esau had blinded him. Although Esau had despised his place in the covenant, he had married foreign women, he had walked through life just following his own heart, Genesis 25 verse 28 explains that Isaac had always loved Esau because Isaac had a taste for wild game. This love, this love to, for, for the father-son relationship, this desire to have a, a strong father-son relationship was so strong that Isaac was willing to attempt to disobey God's word. He was willing to overlook Esau's spiritual rebellion against God. He was willing to forget about the church in the coming generations. Fathers, be careful about what your fatherly love leads you to do. Not only to the faithful who are around you right now, but also for the church in the future generations. Can you see what would have happened if Isaac managed to entrust the church into his son son Esau's hands? Can you imagine an Esau church where personal comforts and selfish desires would reign at the cost of God's revealed word, where the covenant promises would be despised, where everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Can you imagine an Esau church? It would be like so many comfortable places you can go to today, where you never understand the grace of the covenantal God to us sinners, because you never learn the truth about how much you need to crucify your own desires Love and follow Jesus Christ above everything else to submit to his word. In an Esau church, you could probably keep your unbelieving sons, your unbelieving family together with you around you. But you would have to take God out. And for this reason, as we see in our text, God fights, he defends his church, he preserves his church, and today also we must fight against the tendency to have Esau churches even today. God will preserve his church among those who follow his word. He will never let his prophecies fall to the ground. Rebecca knew that. Rebecca knew that God is sovereign, but she also knew how decided and how blind Isaac was. And how prone to allow his fatherly love toward Esau become more important to him than the word of God in the prophecy. You can see that if we just read it together, we won't have to repeat everything we read, but you can see how much, how many precautions Esau was taking to make, or sorry, how many precautions Isaac was taking to make sure that it was Esau there in front of him. He first looked at the voice. He said, the voice isn't quite right. And then he asked about the quick hunt. He he didn't want Jacob there. He wanted Esau. And then he he, he felt his arms and his neck. 
He asked a straight out question. He, he wanted Esau, not Jacob. He wanted to defy the prophecy of God. He didn't want anything to go in the way, get in the way. And finally, he even smells his clothes. How do you reach a man like this? How do you break through his blindness? Rebecca had seen the faithful desire of her son Jacob to be the father through whom the Messiah would be born. She recognized the foolish confusion of her elderly husband and she made quick plans to help God fulfill his promise. You see that in verses 5 to 10 as she talks to Jacob. Verses 14 to 17 as well. Rebecca and Jacob decided it was necessary to sin against the ninth commandment to help God to fulfill his word. And so the quick plan was to deceive Isaac into doing the correct thing. And Rebecca was so convinced that she was doing the right thing that she was even willing to take the curse of her husband upon herself if God would happen to expose their deception to Isaac. You see that in verses 11 to 13. As we look back, without the urgent pressure of time that an eavesdropping wife has, you could see, and we all know, it was clearly not a correct decision on their part. Our holy God hates the sins of craftiness and deception. You only need to read through the Proverbs. You can see that. He teaches us to trust in him, to await his time, rather than try to, to gain our blessings through our own quick thinking and our own actions. It often happens in our, in our lives that zeal for God and zeal for his church makes us impatient and, and even blind to God's sovereign power and ability. We see that here in our text again. God would have fulfilled his promise without the help of Rebecca and Jacob. But in the end, we don't see how in the end, his magnificent promise was fulfilled in the most base and almost embarrassing way. A whispering, eavesdropping wife setting up her, her lying, play-acting, 77-year-old son to deceive his blind old father. The ruse, the deception, it, it worked. Isaac did not get what he wanted. The liar was blessed by Isaac to become the next patriarch, and God's prophecy was fulfilled. Sometimes because of our sins and rebellion, things get messy, even in the church. To Isaac's credit, when he discovered that he had been tricked, he was shocked. But he did not continue in his disobedience. It appears that deep down he knew that he couldn't fight God and, and that he actually also expected that Jacob would be blessed. Genesis 27 verse 33 says that when he discovered that he had been tricked, 
He trembled violently. He was shaken to the core in a very real way. It was the shock that shook him out of his wishful thinking into reality. The shock of an addicted person who is called to see what he is doing all of a sudden when there's like an intervention group. It's the shock of, of one who realizes that he had been wrong, he had been fighting against God, but he had lost. The shock appears to make things clearer for Isaac. And as we read that he tells Esau that he would be excluded from Jacob's blessing in verse 33, and then he goes on in chapter 28 to give further blessing to Jacob, we see that Isaac recognized that he had been wrong, that he was merely a servant in God's hand and not in control of what the church would look like. It was divinely ordained and divinely expected that Jacob would be the next patriarch, the head of the church. He would be the one to receive the blessing and the only one to receive the blessing. We see that in the second point, that Jacob's blessing is exclusive. We could see the blessing in verses 27 to 29 of our ch chapter, the blessing that Isaac had intended to give to Esau. You can see that it's a very exclusive blessing. Exclusive means that it, it stands out from others. It, it does not include everyone. The patriarchal blessing took everything for itself and left nothing for others. Jacob heard his father Isaac declare that his family and his descendants would be the only place in all the world where a person could find peace and prosperity. The blessing promises, and you can see that if your Bibles are open, the blessing is promising ideal farming conditions, an abundance of food, strength, in the face of enemies and family and the ongoing divine protection that God had already promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3. Whoever cursed the patriarch would be cursed and whoever blessed the church would be blessed. The all or nothing blessing was comprehensive and mutually exclusive. Only Jacob would be the next patriarch. His offspring alone would be the next generation in the covenant line of the church, and only the church would have God's divine protection. It's no surprise to us to know then that our Lord Jesus is a descendant of Jacob. In fact, it is only because of the Lord Jesus as the descendant of Jacob that he could receive such a blessing. And as we look at this, as we think of the, the nature of this blessing, we also realize that only Jesus Christ can grant you everything that is in that blessing in its fullness. And then we also realize that the church is not just one option out of many in this world. It's not just another option that you can follow to have your social and, and, and fellowship needs met. But the church is the only place where you can find eternal life and eternal peace. 
It's an exclusive reality. Esau discovered that there is no blessing left for those who make light of the covenant promises, who pretend that the church is their plaything to, to get, give pleasure, get what you need whenever you want, despise and those who despise the gospel message of the Messiah. Esau discovered that there is no blessing for this type of attitude. And we can almost hear Isaac's shocked heart breaking in sorrow when he hears his 77-year-old son, 77-year-old wild son, whom he loved so much, seeing the reality of the situation, bursting out with a loud and bitter cry, saying, bless me, me too, my father. Isaac, right away, you can see that in verse 35, he blames he blames Jacob for stealing Esau's blessing. Rather than taking responsibility for falsely promising something he had no right to give. And so Isaac manages yet to try protect that father-son bond. Even though it cost him that Esau would be hostile to the church. As we can see at the end of the chapter Esau held a grudge against Jacob. He wanted to kill him. At the same time, Isaac had been shocked into recognizing that godless Esau simply could not and would not be a part of Christ's church. And when Esau asks his father again, he, he's pulling his fatherly, his ties, his ties of love. He's pulling on them and, and he says, is there not even a partial blessing? Don't I get at least a little bit of goodness just for being a covenant child? Isaac has to look at his son whom he loves so much, whom he was willing to, to defy God to defend. And he says in verse 37, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? The church has all the blessing of God. What is there left for those outside? And when Esau hears the definitive statement come out of the mouth of his father, the reality of the consequences of his lifelong decisions come crashing in and he begs again, do you only have one blessing? Bless me too, my father. And then we look at the words of Jacob or Isaac to Esau in verses 39 to 40. It confirms that there really is no blessing. Isaac repeats the blessing on the negative side. He shows that there is one blessing, there is blessing only in the church. Jacob had received earth's richness and the dew of heaven. Esau would have to be away from that. Jacob would be lord over his mother's children, and Esau would have to serve him. In short, Jacob would receive the blessings of the covenant and Esau would receive the curses. There are two sides to the picture and they are mutually exclusive. The only hope in Isaac's words is at the very end of our text of verse 40 where we read that Esau may, may throw off the yoke. Whether this refers to Esau's encounter with Jacob later in their lives 
or to the times in Israel's history when the Edomites, who are Esau's descendants, managed to free themselves from Israel's dominion, or even to the time of our Lord Jesus when the Herods, the Herods were descendants of Esau, when they oppressed the church and, and almost killed the Messiah. It merely is a promise that Esau's descendants would not always, would, would not always strive against the church in vain. Their sword would bring some results and God's people would suffer at the hands of the Edomites, of Esau's descendants. But it is a temporary balm, a temporary promise. It does not mean, and as we look, we see that the Edomites were completely destroyed as a nation. Esau learned that Jacob's blessing was exclusive. There simply is no salvation outside of the church, no blessing for those who will not submit to the covenant God. And it hurts so much for the father Isaac to tell his son and to hear his tears, to see his tears. What's going on in our text? It may appear at first glance that God is harsh in the face of a sinner who is seeking the blessing with tears. But we should be very clear that Esau is different than the humble sinner you may be imagining as you question this text. Hebrews 12 verses 14 to 17, which we read, reveals to us that Esau did not try to separate himself in the world. He did not think it important to be holy. He wanted to live without God. He despised the blessings of the covenant. Esau was not a repentant sinner, but his tears came from a worldly sorrow of regret for what he had missed and not a sorrow that leads to repentance and a change of heart. You can read about the difference in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, where Paul is teaching the church. Perhaps you are here today as a covenant child, a covenant child who, who's evaluated his life and seen that there truly is no peace and joy outside of the church, and, and you're heading back you want to change your life, you're heading back after a life of rebellion and struggle. Or perhaps you are a visitor who has never really been a part of the church and, and you're seeking the truth and you see the truth. Maybe you have, you're, you're frightened by what our text teaches us, the picture of God's rejection of Esau. You may be wondering, is there a place in the church for a sinner, a worthless sinner like me, who has so long rejected my God. Well, the exclusive nature of the promise, or as our Lord Jesus calls it, the narrowness of the path that leads to life, that does not mean that it is difficult to enter the kingdom of God. Our text is not saying that God is, is standing there turning down a long waiting list of people who are eager to come in like we sometimes have at, at the walk-in clinics in our, in our neighborhood. God isn't saying, I know you want to come in, but forget it. There's no room. The Bible is very clear. Psalm 51, verse 17, God will not 
reject a broken and a contrite heart. If you are sincere in your repentance, if you truly believe God's grace to you in Jesus Christ, be assured, my dear prodigal son, that there is always a way back into the waiting arms of your loving father. That's the gospel that we proclaim. He sees your godly sorrow that leads to repentance and change. He sees how different you are from Esau, who despised the promises and loved his sins. And so we can declare, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will not refuse you. The Holy Spirit does not want to shut the door on anyone. But both in Genesis and and in Hebrews, he wants to be honest about what it takes to serve our holy and sovereign God. He warns us that God will not be mocked. And you need to know now why you can still change. You need to know now that your decisions and your plans of today can impact the future generations As fathers, too, think about the future generations when you are teaching your sons, your children now. Isaac's words shocked Esau and made him weep, but it did not reveal anything new to Esau. He was never walking with the Lord. He never was trusting in him. And in God's judgment, he got the separation that he always wanted, that he was always living in. The maidens who came late to the marriage banquet in Jesus' parable, the maidens who who knocked on the door and were not let in because they never loved the bridegroom during their whole lives. On the day of judgment, the Father Creator, our Father, will look also to his creatures that he has made and he will be able to lay it out very clearly to those rebellious children. You have rejected my covenant love. You have despised the preaching of the gospel. You have hated my son Jesus Christ who has come to save you and to give you peace. You have resisted the Holy Spirit who renews hearts and lives. You have left the church. You have despised the promises. What can I possibly do for you, my son? The text is a strong warning to each of us. It's not good to be overly black and white. And yet we need to be clear that only those who believe in the God of Jacob and his powerful son will escape the punishment of God against sin. What a blessing it is then that this promised peace is accessible to everyone. Our text today helps us to understand the greatness of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. Our Heavenly Father suffered much more than any earthly father ever will when he cursed his innocent, only begotten Son for sins that we, undeserving rebels, have committed against him and against our neighbor. 
Esau was godless and deserved to be excluded. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was innocent when he bore the wrath of his heavenly Father against the sins, sins like Esau committed, the sins of the whole human race. If you can imagine how difficult it was for Isaac to reveal the consequences of rejecting God to his godless son, you can also begin to imagine how hard it was for your heavenly father to pour out his wrath against his only begotten innocent son, Jesus Christ. And when you think of it, you see how much he loves you. How much he loves even you. The Lord Jesus knew the Old Testament when he came to the earth. The Lord Jesus knew the Old Testament. As he read Genesis 27 and he understood it, he could see ahead of time what he would go through in order to pay for the sins of, of all who believe in him. He could foresee the curse. He could foresee his own bitter cries of agony in the rejected covenant child's cries. He could see that, and yet he continued on to the cross. Because of your sins, brothers and sisters, and in your place, he had to hear the eternal father Speak the same words that Isaac spoke to Esau. There is no blessing left for you. It was an unthinkable sacrifice that our Lord Jesus willingly offered in his unspeakable love for us. And in his work and in his love, we can see the cost of the blessing that Jacob and his people that the church receives, the blessing that you also share in. Do you see the cost of that blessing? The gospel message is that the curse was paid for by the innocent son of God, Jesus Christ. He conquered death. He rose from the dead so that no one who believes in him will ever be cursed again. Now that's the message that fathers want to bring to their children. That's the message that we as parents want to teach our children all about. All that Jacob was hoping for for the future. All that for which God used his family and descendants. It was made real when Jesus Christ came. He was the third patriarch, the head of the church. But it, Jesus Christ came. He is called the one who would reign over the house of Jacob forever. It's in Luke 1, verse 33, when the angel is talking to Mary, uh, to Mary, his kingdom would never end. The hope of Jacob was realized in Jesus Christ. And now we are set free from the curse. We don't need to go to Jacob. We don't need to go to Israel, but we lift up our eyes to Jesus Christ. All who believe in Jesus Christ will be blessed with peace and protection through all of this life and into eternity. Do you see how in Christ this blessing is 
very extensive. We have much more than Jacob and Esau and Isaac and the first children of Jacob. We have the gospel message that it's open for, for all peoples, all nations, all tongues, all races, all, all places in the world. Jesus Christ took that blessing that was given to Jacob and, and he blew it wide open. Whoever blesses Jesus Christ will be blessed for eternity. He gathers all who believe in him. He gathers all who trust in him. All those who love God because of his love for us shown in his fatherly sacrifice of his son. All who believe that he was cursed in our place. All who want to walk with him by grace and not by works as covenant children. You can, express, you can expect this blessing as well. You can expect this exclusive blessing as well because it is extensive. It reaches to all. And we have it. And we know it. Dear fathers and parents, as we reflect on the tears of Esau, as we reflect on the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, as we reflect on the only promise of life that is only in Jesus Christ, let us be all the more vigilant in raising up our covenant children in the fear of the Lord. It could be argued that the time that you spend with your children to exhort to discipline, to correct, to point to Jesus Christ, to point to his word, to encourage in the Christian faith. It's perhaps the most important thing you will ever do in your life. May it never happen that you have to hear the anguished cries, the tears of your weeping godless child as they die in fear and bitterness because they rejected or even worse, never knew the love of Jesus Christ. The good news is that while you and your children are alive and on this earth before Christ Jesus returns, you will never have to hear, you will never have to say to your son, there is no way back. And so we pray and we urge and we exhort and we point to the love of God to us in Jesus Christ. There is a way back. And may God bless your conversations about the covenantal blessings. May God bless Christian education in, in our words and in our deeds. May he bless the continual support that you give to your children even as they enter into the, the teenage and, and the early adult years and all the way to, till they, they pass away. May the Lord bless us as families, as God's people in the only place where we have the blessing of eternal life. May he protect us from the devil's attacks. Let's not joke around with his holiness. Let's not make light of his grace. 
As Hebrews 12 says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn from him who warns us from heaven? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Our God is a consuming fire. Amen.